Computer, initialize Holosuite. and welcome to another episode of The Fire Caves, a Star Trek Deep Space Nine podcast. I am one of your hosts, Perry. And I'm your host, David. Tonight we're talking about Season 2, Episode 23, Crossover. Before we continue, you can find us on Twitter, Facebook, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts as The Fire Caves, a Star Trek Deep Space Nine podcast. Absolutely, and as I say every week, you should find us and follow us because we are a riot. We are a good time, and you are missing out if you don't follow us. Uh, you can find us anywhere that you do social media, Facebook, Twitter, so forth and so on. But either way, we encourage it because you can then join in on our conversations. And as David said, tonight we are talking about the episode Crossover, the first of the Deep Space Nine uh, crossover episodes, but we'll get into that tonight and in later eps but before we do all that david how you doing i'm good i had a funny little story that happened to me today at work in our last episode i believe i was talking about how i had uh a couple come in a couple months back they had like their poodles and they decided to get new beds uh so they could each have a their own you know one of the dogs in the bed with them and then uh i meant that they were you know getting beds i was like i'll take your money go for it well, they came back today. <laughs> they didn't like their first bed choice, which, fair enough, you know, it happens. But they've really upgraded this time. Like, they spent much more than they did the first time. It's like the first time they found one of our bargain deals. And we're like, oh, bargain deal, let's go for it. And they realized, basically, after a month or so, that the bargain deal is a bargain for a reason. <laughs> and so it was funny seeing them again and talking about yeah, they still have the dogs in the bed. They That's what they do. And it was just funny to me because, like, oh, man, I was just talking about you guys, and here you are back. So, hey, how's it going? <laughs> <laughs> so, a little ironic twist today. Other than that, nothing much. How about you? Uh, you know, did a good bit of running around today um, up in Georgetown, um, hanging out at the Georgetown Public Library for a little bit, and then oh. did some... A uh, little bit of shopping to prepare for the fourth, ah. um, as well up there, and uh, then that's it. Kind of came home, did a bunch of in-house stuff, trying to get ready for the fourth. Because I don't know about anybody else, but like I can't enjoy a holiday unless like my home is in order. Like it's kind of like going on vacation. Like I clean before vacation because I know when I come back from vacation, I'm not gonna want to. So I try to get all these things done so that after the event, after the vacation, after the holiday, whatever it is, when it's time to, you know, basically go back to work, um, I can just do that and not be like, oh, man, I still didn't do the laundry or, you know, put this away or right, you know. So that was pretty much today trying to get all that done because I know that tomorrow, um, you know, Sunday, I know that it's going to be even worse because everybody's trying to get everything before the 4th on Monday. And then, of course, Monday is the 4th, and it's just going to be, you know, crazy. (laughs) So whether you actually partake in festivities or not for the 4th, this our whole country is going to be, you know, 
besieged in stores, you know, and with already <laughs> with supply issues and the chicken shortage and, you know, all this other kind of stuff that's going on. I don't want to have to go to the store for any reason right? through the next, like, 48 hours. Right. So, so yeah. So that was pretty much my thoughts when I was, when I was shopping today. Smart. What could I possibly need so that I do not have to go out? Right. So, yeah. But yeah, other than that, we are doing good. Kid is, uh, was angry with me all day because I dragged her everywhere that I went. <laughs> so, of course, by the time we finally got to go home, you know, she was just so tired and, you know, we did other stuff. And then, of course, came dinner time and, you know, she was just, barely able to keep herself awake to eat but i was like yes that's what i want fall asleep and sleep comfortably just be knocked out you know so so yeah it's it's pretty funny to watch her struggle sometimes because she's just she's just so cute but we we got through it she's asleep now right and um yeah other than that we're here i'm ready to go and now even though i may be a little tired i always enjoy my wind down being talking about Star Trek. So I'm like, yes, I get to do this again. So here we are. Here we are. Yep. Yeah. Yep. But as I said, we are here to talk about the episode crossover uh, from Star Trek Deep Space Nine. Uh, David, would you like to give our recap? Yeah, I'll do it this time. All right, guys. So crossover. So we start off with Major Kira and Dr. Bashir on one of the runabouts. Uh, They're coming back through the wormhole or about to come through the wormhole from the Gamma Quadrant. And uh, as they're doing so, Kira, you know, says that she wants to kind of take a moment to meditate while they're waiting to travel. And Bashir, being his always inquisitive self, doesn't take the hint and starts engaging her in conversation about meditation, which, as we can all imagine, kind of ruins the whole idea of actually meditating. He wants to talk about how he learned about rhythmic breathing. And when she says she just wants some quiet, he just loudly does his breathing exercise to show her that he knows how to do it. And so she's frustrated and says, well, let's just listen to some music. And he turns on some Bajoran music and then starts commenting on the Bajoran composer and how he's, he's a nice guy, but he seems to be kind of, you know... Uh, just another copycat of another composer that he's aware of. And Kira is, like, ready to rip his head off. Uh, but while they're traveling, they have a problem with their warp field. Some uh, right. some, some uh, plasma gets out and affects their warp field. And so when they come out of the wormhole, the station isn't in the right place. And a Klingon cruiser approaches them, and the Klingons actually beam aboard and... As soon as they see Kira, they're shocked and f- very afraid and apologizing profusely. They uh, they ask to be let, you know, allowed to go back to their ship and they'll escort them back to the station. And when they arrive on the station, it is not Deep Space Nine. It is Tarak Nor, the Cardassian station run uh, with, with Garrick uh, at, dressed in Cardassian uniform and... Kira Nerys, our Kira, is actually the mirror version of a yes. this version's version of her. She was she dressed the in, intendant. Yes, the intendant in, Kira, and dressed entirely in black, a sexy black. And uh, she, this new Kira, uh, happily confronts our version and uh, cuts to black. So as the episode continues on, 
we come to realize that they are in some alternate universe. Uh, this Kira Norris is the intendant, as uh, Perry just said. She is in charge of the station. But part of what's going on here is that they are part, the Bajorans are a part of what's called the Alliance. Mm-hmm. Uh, in a twisting of history, it wasn't the Cardassians who took over Bajor, it was Earth and the Terrans who took over Bajor. And when the Bajorans got their freedom, they joined the Cardassian Klingon Alliance and are now allied uh, against Terra. Uh, there is seemingly no federation. Uh, in fact, as Kira, this alternate Kira, relates history, she reveals that James T. Kirk, once upon a time, came to the mirror dimension and convinced the um, convinced the Spock of this universe to like change how things are done, and that meant that the version of Spock in this universe basically made changes to the the Vulcans. And that made them weak, and that allowed the Klingons and the Cardassians to conquer them. And so she is uh, very happy with this. And the Terrans on the station are all being used like the Cardassians used to use the Bajorans for ore processing and other things. And as we come to explore the station, primarily through Bashir's eyes, Bashir, because he doesn't have a doppelganger in this universe, uh, is as a Terran forced to go work on these ore mines and we find odo there and odo is a taskmaster and he's pretty good at it too uh he gives some rules of obedience to bashir for how he should behave which includes saying sir after everything he says and o'brien is on the station and o'brien is still a tech savvy dude but he is you know just the guy who fixes things he's not the you know chief of engineering we know him as and we eventually find Cisco. Cisco isn't our upstanding commander as a part of the Federation. No, he's a pirate, basically, on Kira's behalf. He's her enforcer. She gave him a ship and a crew of misfits that go out and basically enforce her will. And he is a rambunctious, loudmouth, bully type. He is not the upstanding, honorable person we know him as. And uh, he's willing to you know kind of get in people's faces and he doesn't have really any code of honor and just very different uh there's no dax we don't see any dax version here um we don't see any bashir version as i've said um but the version of kira the intendant uh the one who's in charge of the station she is happy to see another version of herself though she is aware of this situation where the this crossover has occurred uh, and she tells Kira, our Kira, that they have made a rule that no crossovers are allowed to live. Uh, but our Kira says, screw them. You're not going to let them tell you what to do. And our and the intended Kira says, oh, you know how to manipulate me, right? And our Kira says, no, no, I, I know what I would do. And I would, that's what I'm telling you is like, you know, do your own thing. Don't let them boss you around. So... The intendant Kira wants to keep our version of Kira around, and yet our version of Kira wants to go back through the wormhole, and she wants to get Bashir. So she goes to Bashir and talks to them at times, and the Odo down there is not always pleased to see them. Uh, And they find Cork, and Cork is on the station, and he is a kind of subdued version of himself. He is, as he says, you know, oppressed by the taxes that basically make his business impossible, but 
they uh, he has helped Terrans try and escape from the station before. And uh, when one of the Terrans that is being interrogated by Garrick reveals his involvement, reveals that uh, Quark was involved, Quark is interrogated and tortured as well. And uh, one thing I should mention is that Garrick is the subordinate. He is the number one to the intendant Kira on the station. Um, and there definitely seems to be some tension there. Uh, in fact, Kira tells him, your interrogation techniques better not result in anyone dying, uh, I, or I'll make an example of you. So uh, they better, you, don't you make an example of someone by killing them, or I'll make an example of you, is what she says. So Quark uh, is, you know, try, it, you know, our version of Kira approaches Quark uh, to get them help to find a, uh, a transporter. The idea was is that James T. Kirk got a transporter malfunction that allowed him to come to this mirror universe. So they think that that's the same way they could get back, but they have uh, done away with that technology to, ver to, to make sure that doesn't happen. So Quark does tell our version of Kira that he'll help her right before he gets captured by Garrick and interrogated. And later Kira says, okay, you can go execute Quark. Um, a little later on, Garrick comes to our version of Kira and says, I want the intended Kira gone. I want control of the station. So here's what I plan on doing. I will assassinate the intendant Kira, and you will pretend to be her for, say, about a month. And then after a month, you can say, I'm going to go on a spiritual journey to find your pa, and you can be allowed to leave, and I'll be in control of the station. Uh, Kira is, of course, wary of all this. She knows that she can't trust Garrick. So um, she goes to... Cisco and tells him of Garrick's plan. And again, this version of Cisco is not an upstanding guy. He is a lack lazy kind of, you know, layabout uh, who loves to drink and uh, and all that, and kind of the sexual plaything of the intendant Kira as well. And uh, he doesn't care, you know, he doesn't care who's in charge. Uh, he's just a lowly Terran, and he's happy to have life as it is. Um, so when Kira is asked to go uh, to a big meeting of sorts where, uh, like a, like a party, uh, she's just to dress up like this version of Kira. And that's where Garrick says he's going to kill the other Kira. So in the meantime, Bashir is down in the ore processing center. Eventually he does talk to O'Brien says that my version of you is a man I really look up to. We're best friends. <laughs> uh, and you're really a uh, chief of engineer and you're a skilled guy. And this version of O'Brien he can't believe it. You know, it's just something he really can't believe. But a little later on, um, when Bashir escapes from the ore processing center, he kills Odo by taking one of the uh, blasters. He blasts Odo and he explodes into a ball of, or to a giant mess of liquid mess. mess. And he escapes into the, the, the vents and there's O'Brien working on something and he convinces O'Brien to help him escape, but they're immediately captured. And so O'Brien our version of Bashir, our version of Kira are all in the room uh, with the intendant Kira, and she is angry at O'Brien for, you know, betraying her trust, and he gives a nice little speech about how I never thought I could be anything until they came, um, and things are looking bad until the, this mirror version of Cisco decides to hold everyone at gunpoint. He allows everyone to escape. The O'Brien from this mirror universe decides to stay with the Cisco and his crew as they escape on their own ship, and our version of Kira and and uh, 
Bashir get on their runabout and escape to the wormhole, which, by the way, I forgot to mention, these people on this alternate universe are not aware of the wormhole, so they are able to get to the wormhole safely and uh, reproduce the the problem that got them into this alternate universe in the first place, and they come through on the proper side of the universe to the uh, happiness and uh, pleasure of the crew who had been out searching for them uh, in their absence. And that's basically it. Did I miss anything, Perry? Uh, nope. Hitting highlights. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's exactly what... Uh, essentially, yes, that's what the episode is about. And again, if you want to see all the specific details, you can go and watch it, as you should have done already. This episode is 30 years old, so go watch it. You have no excuse. Pause this, come back, and be enriched. But um, this is a great episode in regards to the crossover stuff because this is really kind of the first true follow-up to crossovers that we've had because The Next Generation never did a crossover episode. Um, so the whole history of crossover again began with um, the original series, and uh, as we found out here, it was made. Uh, you know, the first attempt of this was, or accident anyway, of this was done by James T. Kirk in Command of the Enterprise. Um, so just to give you a quick back history on that, it's exactly what they say: a transporter accident sends the landing party, which was Kirk, um, Uhura. Um, Scotty, and I believe Dr. McCoy, and then a smattering of other, you know, red shirts who didn't matter. Um, <laughs> they end up getting transposed onto the Mirror Enterprise. And in this Mirror Enterprise, there is the uh, Empire that is led by uh, Terrans, by humans. And in that, in that timeline, in that universe, the humans have moved out from our solar system and conquered neighboring solar systems, including Vulcan, and have basically subjugated all other alien races and made them basically second-class citizens. So it's like all positions of authority, power, might are held by humans. Uh, other alien races can gain some power and notoriety, but they will never top humanity humanity basically moved out from our solar system in a very paranoid very aggressive stance versus what we see in the i guess traditional universe the original universe where we were more peacefaring moving out and so in that episode kirk is able to eventually convince the mirror spock that um it would be in his best interest to gain control and to turn their universe into something, well, mirroring ours, something a bit more peaceful, um, a bit more enlightened. And Spock does so, and as the intendant later tells us, Spock was hugely successful. He turned this very aggressive, hostile empire into something a little bit more peace-loving, and unfortunately this had the unintended side effect of making them weak when a true alien aggressor species moved into the area, which was the Cardassians and the Klingons. Right. The Cardassian-Klingon alliance quickly um, overthrew the Terran Empire, and um, now we have the alliance, and the alliance is doing to the Terrans what the Terrans had been doing before Spock's peace movement had been doing to other races. So that's why we see humans at the very, very bottom of the food chain, because it's we're basically left to imply that humans are basically just going out there enslaving other alien races right. until Spock convinced them to stop. 
And so now, all of a sudden, all those alien races, now the shoe's on the other foot, and they are all about enslaving and subjugating um, humanity. Right. What goes around comes around. Yeah. And so as Kira also says, you know, they've, you know, on there, while we, on, or we, while the Prime Universe uh, Starfleet officers never developed any kind of protocol to uh, ban or control people from the Mirror Universe crossing over, the same thing is not true on their side. And they were intensely fearful of others crossing over and further influencing their culture, their politics, and so forth. So they came up with a protocol in which if any crossovers happen, those individuals are put to death. Right. Again, really goes in line with their whole, um, you know, being paranoid and also, well, aggressive. Mean, right. You yeah. Know. So we get a lot here um, in regards to the Terran universe and uh, or the Terran Empire versus our Starfleet and everything else. But um, yeah, still, I guess, pretty solid episode if you're a person who, who likes uh, mirror universe stuff and crossovers. What did you think of this episode? Um, so I like the idea of seeing, you know, corrupted versions of our characters. I There's always, that's always a fascinating storyline to take i think in general um i feel like this episode though ended like i was i was looking at the clock on this episode because i was watching it you know july 1st it was as you it was uh the last day to watch it was july 1st i think you were off by a day on netflix yeah and so i was literally watching it like 11 45 11 and i was like am i gonna finish it in time and I, I i did but as i was like pressing pause to like check the time I was like, man, there's like eight minutes left in this episode. There's like five minutes left in this episode. What's going to happen? And it like just kind of ends real abruptly. It's like, oh, Cisco decides to turn. And O'Brien, you know, this this version of O'Brien doesn't agree to come with them to our universe. He decides to join Cisco at the last second. Uh, it's like it, it, it. they had to wrap it up too fast. So, again. So you feel like this should have been a two-parter yet again. <sighs> Yes. <laughs> and I feel like, man, I, I feel like a broken record. I feel like I've been saying that a lot. Uh, but this one definitely felt like, wow, we have a lot to we could explore here about the history of this side of, you know, this alternate universe. Yes. Um, like, why the heck is Kira, like, let me put it this way. If the, if the inverse version of history is the Cardassians and the Earthlings and the Terrans, if you will, are all basically all switched places, why is Garrick the number two to Kira? And not the number one, and Kira is still the number two there. But like, you know, you could have kept her as this, you know, sexy black outfit, crown-looking headpiece thing. You could have kept all that, but make Garrick the inverse of Cisco on some level. And we just got done with the Garrick episode, so uh, last time. So I was a little surprised that they made Kira in charge because. It wasn't yeah. 100% clear why. Like, they never explained well, why she was chosen. And she seemed to kind of just relish her position. But yeah. I never got a sense of, like, why she had the authority she had. Like, who gave it to her? Why did they let her keep it? And if Garrick, apparently Garrick's been trying to assassinate her for a long time. Uh, mm. This isn't his first attempt. So either he's so incompetent that she doesn't know he's been trying. Or she puts up with his attempts as like a plaything. Yeah. So anyway, I felt like there were a lot of elements that were interesting and intriguing, like Odo and his rules of obedience, stuff like that. But we never got a chance to really dig deep into that. So you're absolutely right. 
I mean, she does allude to the fact that the Cardassians and the Klingons had an alliance that the Bajorans later joined. I always took that, you know, you, you kind of have to make some leaps here, but to me it was, you know, the the Terran Empire had expanded out to Bajor and had been enslaving the Bajorans, very much like in the Prime Universe how the Cardassians had enslaved the Bajorans. But once the Empire fell and the Cardassian Klingon alliance took over, um, and then, of course, Bajor joined, I feel like what happened there was the Bajorans, you know, they still needed that ore processing center. They still needed slave labor to do it. Right. And I think it was one of those, who better to do it than the Terrans, and who better to be in charge of the suffering of the Terrans than somebody they used to also torture. Right. So that's why she is in, in, in charge. And it also makes sense that that's why Garrick is there because it's still a Cardassian station. Well, so he's still kind of looking after Cardassian interests. Now... Well, that's my point, though, is like, if yeah. this is still Terak Nor, which was the Cardassian name for the station, and he is there himself, I don't... It's not quite... And like, and it was the alliance between the Cardassians and the Klingons, Klingons. That, they, that the Bajorans joined... You know, again, you know, when the Federation comes to the station and Cisco is put in command, that is clearly a, a power move from the Federation yeah. standpoint. It's like, uh, we'll come help, but we're in charge. <laughs> uh, and you know, and and there's a lot of things we just don't we just don't know. And we also I mean there's a lot of things again we don't know, and there's a lot of things you can just go ahead and assume, and it's you know, whereas the Federation came in and was more peaceful about their, you know, management of the area, right. we can assume that the the Klingons and the Cardassians would not be the same at all. And um, I mean, there's a lot of different things that we just never find out. And like you said, this is one of those episodes that definitely could have benefited from being a two-parter, right. especially when we get to the part about Cisco kind of coming around finally to rebelling against the intendant and starting this kind of, well, rebellion and moving, uh, moving against her and everything else. Right. So, I think that um, you're right. It should have it should have been a two parter. It should have worked out. It would have worked out better that way to give us the story of a building rebellion and all that kind of stuff. But right. um, we just don't get it. Right. So, um, so yeah. But overall, I, I again, how do you feel? Do you think this was a successful episode? Would you say that this would rank up there as one of those? If you were if you were telling someone to watch Deep Space Nine, is this a must watch or is this one they could skip? I mean, I honestly would say this one is kind of a skip episode in the sense that none of the major plot of the rest of the series really moves forward. Mm -hmm. uh, all we really get from this episode is Bashir and Kira having an episode together. In fact, Bashir comments on that at the beginning of the episode how. You know, they never really had a chance to work together, and he admires her, and she even <laughs> thinks that he's starting to hit on her, and you, she says, stick to Dax, and he, he he's like, oh, oh, no, 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 that's not what I meant. Um, even though it's like, that's what you always do, bro. That's exactly what you <laughs> meant, right. <laughs> yeah, it's like, what are you talking about? Um, I thought that was an interesting callback to the fact that when they first did meet and talk to each other, they they did not like each other. He That's he made right. her mad. Yeah, he made her this mad. Is like the, uh, the, this the is the frontier. Yeah, yeah. That's this is the first time we really get to see those two together without a backdrop of others. Right. And other people chiming in. Yes. Um, this is the yeah. first time since then that we see this. And again, remember the first time we did it or that we saw it, she 
pretty much cut him off of the knees, man. You know, just really right. kind of took the wind out of his sails for being Mr. Young, naive, oblivious doctor. Right. You know, and so here she is kind of doing it again. Right. And um, the nice, nice follow up. I right. mean, she softened a little bit, but not much. Um, I'd also like to think that these ep- that this episode and the previous one, The Wire, I feel like they were filmed like back to back. Like instead of the actors really kind of going home and having a break and decompressing, I feel like they were filmed probably even concurrently because it would make sense considering that in The Wire, we barely see Kara at all. Right. And yet she is featured prominently here in in uh, in this episode, playing two roles, as a matter of fact. Yeah. So I feel like part of the reason Which was that we well did see her... Yeah. There's a scene, I'm going to stop you right there. There's a moment where the intended version of Kira grabs our version of Kira's chin and, like, pushes it up, and it was seamless. Yeah. It did a great job, but keep going. Well, I just think that, you know, they were probably doing a lot of her filming, this, the CGI stuff, they were probably doing it during the other episode. Well, so while that's going on, because she's she's dressed the exact same, hair and everything is styled the same for that brief moment that we see her in the very beginning of the episode, and then after that she's wholly gone. Right. So we didn't really need her in in the wire, but she was definitely needed for this, and it probably took them, especially back then in the '90s, it probably took a lot of extra time to do those kind of split scenes. So they were probably like, "Yeah, you're kind of double booked this week." Right. And you're going to be doing these these two things. It would also explain the same thing for some of the other officers and why we didn't see them much. Like O'Brien isn't in the wire very much. Cisco's not in the wire very much. And yet right. here he makes an appearance. Both of those officers, not as officers, of course, make an appearance in in this one. You know. Well, so, the only push yeah. – I mean, I'd have some pushback though because this one was an episode that featured Bashir a decent amount. And last one, Bashir and Garrick were – you know, the predominant characters and Garrick even had a bigger role in this episode than he does in other episodes. Not that again, not that, I mean, let me put it this way. You're right about Kira, all of the Kira stuff. You're probably right. They could have filmed that on its own time, uh, maybe concurrently with the last episode. But uh, the fact that Bashir is heavily featured in this episode, like he was in the last episode makes me think that, uh, well, I don't think he's, he wasn't as his, his scenes and scenes from last episode would have had to definitely been shot separately, I would say. But well, yeah. yeah, but at the same time, like a lot of his scenes, um, you know, it wasn't like he was traveling all over. And even then, the scenes that he had in the crossover episode, um, comparatively short, considering. Right. Well, and also so I, on I, one stage, he's just yeah. moving a cart around for most of it. <laughs> right. So I, I don't feel like it would have been too much of a stretch to do this. It kind of be like, hey, this is a you know kind of way of maybe giving them a break. Hey, if you guys are willing. We'll double down. We'll knock out two in one this week. Right. And then next week, y'all can just be completely off. Right. I could see them being down for something like that. Because from, you know, from all reports, those filming schedules in the 90s were grueling. They're, you know, cranking out 24 to 26 episodes, you know. Right. And they're all hour-long episodes. And it you get the makeup and all that stuff. Apparently, that stuff was really hard on them, which is another reason that we have such shorter seasons now of a lot of our shows because the the actors just like, yeah, I can't do 18 hours a day every day, you know, for seven years. Right. You know? Oh yeah. I, yeah. I mean, we, we, as, as consumers of their product, of course, we are like, <laughs> Oh, I would, I would kill to be a part of that. But I mean, just imagine doing your job for 18 hours a day, seven days a week, 
you or six days a week. Maybe you get like one day off. You don't really get to see your family. You're you're up at like four in the morning to sit and do makeup, and you gotta wear, and then you gotta wear that right all day long, and then for touch-ups and reshoots and promos and all the stuff that you've got to do all the time. I think that it would, you know, the money, regardless, I think it would wear on you. Oh yeah. Pretty, pretty significantly, fairly quickly. Oh so, yeah, I agree. Yeah. I mean, as much as I would love to play like a Klingon, perhaps, gosh, after having to sit for that makeup and then the extra scenes and the, the stopping to do touch-ups and then you got to do an action sequence and something gets knocked off of you. So they got to stop and put it back on. Then you got to reshoot it and touch this up again. And all, all of that. Oh my God. No, I human. I will be human. Right. <laughs> Just let me wear the uniform. Right. That's it. Yeah. I could imagine that being their conversations there a lot. Right. Yeah. <laughs> well, I will say, <laughs> Well, I will say in regards to this Mirror Universe episode, as I stated last night, I don't like Mirror Universe episodes. I never have. Um, the first one in the original series, take it for what it is, it was a nice, you know, kind of offshoot from what we had already what had already been established in Trek at the time, sure. And I kind of got the, the philosophical note they were trying to leave us with, which is basically that one man... Or, you know, yeah, one man, one person can summon the future, can change the course of history. Right. That was kind of the whole lesson that was that Kirk was trying to teach Spock at that time. Because right. that was the that was the other part of it that was so I guess weird or also interesting because everybody else has changed, but Spock is unchanged because Vulcans have logic in either one. So if you can make a logical argument to them, that was basically how he was the the focal point, because if you can make a logical argument to him for either thing, then that's where that's where he goes. Right. And so that's how Kirk kind of gets him to change his viewpoint is by presenting him with this impassioned yet logical argument. And logic is um, the same in both universes. Yeah. Yes, and logic is the same in both universes. So that's what you needed in order to see this turning point. But um, as you said, you know, you like that they kind of explore this, you know, these darker versions of characters and everything else, but. As a person who has watched a lot of Star Trek. Um, really? You? Me, yes, of all people. <laughs> I just don't like it. I don't like that it, it comes up all the time. It's used like pretty much every show except for... TNT. No, actually, no. All of the shows have a an episode, at least one episode, where they do a darker version of themselves. Right. Whether it's an official Mirror Universe episode, and I'm using air quotes there, so yeah. But whether or not it's an official Mirror Universe episode or not, that part is is where you can debate it or not or whatever. But they all do it. Next Generation does it in Yesterday's Enterprise, where the Enterprise C comes back, and yeah. the Federation is at is in a war with the Klingons at that point, and we see a darker Enterprise, and you know Tasha is still on the bridge, and Picard and all them. They're much they're much a, a harder, grittier version of themselves. So we get to see that there. Right. Then of course, Deep Space Nine, we have the Mirror Universe episode. Voyager does one where it's like. Um, some alien race uh, recreated their contact with Voyager some centuries later, and they portrayed the crew of Voyager as this kind of murderous, aggressive species that kind of moved through their system. 
And it's called Living Witness is the name of that episode. And I mean, it's interesting, but it's the same thing. Like they're just, they're darker versions of themselves. Right. Of course, Enterprise did it. They had their crossover moment too. And then um, all the shows have done it since. Discovery had like almost a whole season that was uh, crossover. Oh, yeah, like several episodes that were crossover eps. And even their main character, Captain, from the first season was actually a crossover from the Mirror Universe impersonating a Starfleet officer that we don't find out about until like the very end of the season. Wow, you know? spoiler alert. Jeez. <laughs> well, yeah. Um, again, you should have watched it by now. The show's like on. Well, it's getting ready to come Netflix out with season five. Is done with uh, with Deep Space Nine. I have to move over there. There so, you yeah. go. I mean, and then of course we have Picard, which I mean, you could say that whole show is a mirror universe trope in some in some regard. Yeah. And, and yeah, and even the stuff that happened in the most recent season, you know how they, you know, Q's involvement, mirror universe. <laughs> so far, so far, Strange New Worlds. Uh, they haven't, but they're new, so they're still. They haven't even finished season one yet. So I have a feeling it's coming. It's like it's like the thing that every Star Trek show has to do. Um, Prodigy briefly touched on it with you know they went from pleasant hologram Janeway to crazy goth Janeway. So you get a little bit touch of that there, and then <laughs> Lower Decks. I'm sh- I, you know what I, Lower Decks is so crazy they probably they might have slipped it past me and I just don't even remember because Lower Decks is just it's a wild ride like if you want to truly see like an inane version of Trek but that's also a lot of fun watch that because that show is just man are they all over the place <laughs> so but yeah they they all do it at some point or other they all do it and I'm just kind of burnt out on it like I just feel like all they ever do is make everybody a psychopath. Like, there's never any, like, real rhyme or reason to anything. And we're never given any explanations either. It's just, hey, you're in the mirror universe, so we're all right. going to murder you or right. torture you and then murder you. And it's just, I, I don't like that. It's it's unimaginative. It's boring now. If you're going to go to I – want, I want to go to not, I guess, mirror universe, but maybe um, call it um, – I don't know. Um, fractured universe, or well, <laughs> we we can't do multiverse because that's been taken. Um, I feel like fractured one? is is like leaning into the whole idea of broken characters or, or chaotic universe, or um, yeah. Oh, you're right. That kind of has sense. But what about myriad universe? Would that work? Like myriad? So that yeah, yeah. So there's like work. so then there's wild and varied universes of multiple types of whatever, and but instead of calling them again multiverse, say the myriad verse, and you can right. just you go to one, and you know the Vulcans never came to Earth, and then you go to another one, and I don't know the Borg took over everything, like just all kinds of little things like that, and you just have a crew that that's their job is to kind of like hop in between these uh, universes and and observe but not interfere gotcha. but of course they interfere because that's what that's what they all do so yeah that would be interesting but just to show different perspectives of things and not always the same thing of oh we have the light side now here's the dark murder side i wanted to see something else right yeah the um i would say that uh, just kind of building on that kira in this episode is you know as i said before the she is the dark version of kira but we don't get an explanation for why so yeah. i feel like you're right like she's kind of 
Well, the idea that she could like beat Garrick, like the Car- the Garrick we know has like a, you know, it's like Liam Neeson, like I have a certain set of skills, you know, <laughs> yeah, he's, he's he's been hiding him, you know. Oh, and Kira suddenly is is leading the the station. It's like, and Cisco, Cisco is this, he's like a pirate, but yeah, not. he's a pirate. He's, I mean, he's. He's a pirate slave. Like he does what she wants, but he's got more freedom. And his basically what he's doing is just sowing chaos wherever he goes. Right. So I, yeah. I agree with you that you know the idea of a mirror universe or an alternate universe where you can play with the characters and like see them on their you know what what's like what would it be like if this was different about them. And this one, let me put it this way: at no point does our version of Cisco mention a uh, Jake Cisco. There's not an alternate Jake there. Uh, there's no alternate Dax. We don't. We did not see an alternate alternate Dax. And here's what I was yeah. thinking too. Like I know that it would be kind of an imposition on um, what's her face who plays Dax on uh, Terry, Terry Farrell. Farrell. You know, but let's say that Dax was someone else. Like there was a different host. Like it's still Dax, but it's a uh, not Jadzia Dax, but someone else. Like that would have been interesting, but they didn't do that. They didn't. They didn't. They didn't present <sighs> us with alternates for every for everyone, which was right. kind of weird, considering that pretty much every person does make an appearance, except for Jake, except right. for Dex. Like, why didn't we? Why didn't we see them? Right. Like, you know, it it really is one of those things that just doesn't make any sense. You went out of your way to give us an alternate of everyone else. Well, yeah, except for those two, and except for Bashir as well. We don't see an alternate Bashir. Exactly. Either. Yeah. And so, so the, yeah, the thing I'm getting at with that. With all of that, you know, like if Dax, if there was an alternate version of Dax, whether whether John Z or not, there'd have to be an explanation for why there was a trill on the station. And, but there's, let me put it this way, there's no real effective origin story for the characters themselves. There's an origin story for the plot of the episode. This is an alternate universe, different history. But that's not as interesting as why is Kira different? Is she is she the same person but branched off in a different direction and now she's this person or is she truly does she truly have an alternate history that's what i'm yeah. really getting at does she really if they were to compare memories would they be like no we're not the same person we have the same physical dna but just as like two twins two biological you know identical twins or dna compatible or uh, identical does not mean that they have the same experiences and 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 share the same opinions and likes and dislikes i mean they might have a lot of crossover but um they are two different people so i feel like again this episode has some interesting potential but did not give itself the time to really explore the really interesting parts and so instead we get a kind of rushed storyline um yeah yeah and, and we I- get this you know the intendant is way more insidious than kira is and then you know the whole her her fascination with herself is, I mean, it's downright creepy. I think that was the whole point. Right. Was to make her just seem so, just way too into herself to the point that even Garrick is like, yeah, she's in love with herself. That's why she's never going to let you go. You are her. She loves you. Right. Who else can she confide in and tell her secrets to and all that stuff, you know? Right. Yeah, that was an interesting point. Interesting part. 
But yeah, you're right. We don't know enough about the intended and why she is the way that she is. They don't really give us a whole lot on that. Um, I'm not sure if that's intentional or not, but it's just not something that we find out. Other than, you know, that the only thing that seems even remotely similar is that Bajor was at some point subjugated by an outside race. Right. In, our, in the Prime Universe, it's Cardassians. In this one, it's humans. Right. But why that went the way that it did, why in one universe she's a freedom fighter and in the other one she is some weird, uh, you know... Latex-loving... Creepy, <laughs> right, some dominatrix-type whatever. Right. Don't know. Right. Um, but I do know that Intendant Kira uh, gained a lot of popularity. Oh, I bet. Uh, when she first slinked oh, her way onto the, onto the screen. She was definitely... Uh, Insta famous. Oh, uh, Nana Visitor plays it. <laughs> she she's chewing the scenery, as they say. She is oh, playing yeah. it to the hilt. She's having a great time. Uh, she actually does, I would say, actually do a great job of making our version of Kira and this other version uh, different. Like they are different people, and she definitely is enjoying uh, playing the different part. Uh, but again, in some ways, that just makes you know the intendant all the more like curious. Like why is she the way she is? And then also. Why does she, like, let our version of Kira just... Like, she doesn't seem as curious about our version of Kira as she should be. Well, so I think that they do kind of explain that. Again, and we can give Garrett credit for that, because he's just like, you know, she she, she says she trusts... Or Garrick says, you know, she trusts you. And, and our Kira's like, right. oh, yeah, look at the guard outside my door. You see how much she trusts me. And he's like, no, I arranged the guard. That's true, right. And and we see also that our Kira has kind of free reign of the station. She goes down true. to talk with the doctor uh, several times. different times. Yeah. And, and no one no one stops her, no one questions her, no one even attempts to eavesdrop on her. As suspicious as they may be, they yeah. all gave her a wide berth. She true. could do whatever she wanted. And I think that, you know, Garrick is, is right that she and and it's beyond uh, a self love. I I believe it was supposed to be portrayed as the intendant was legitimately, romantically in love with our Kira. Right. That, yeah, she was the perfect partner for right. her. Who better than herself? Right. And I think that's what Garrick was trying to allude to. She loves you because you are her. Right. You, and even, and then when we, if you watch the scenes in which we see the two of them interacting with each other, anytime that our Kira, again, our Kira, she, um, whenever she seemed to um, empathize or relate with the intendant, the intendant just lit up. She yes, loved it. Even when true. she noticed that Kira was manipulating her, she was thrilled that that's what was happening. Right. So it's just like, instead of being, um, instead of the things that would have caused her to be cautious or paranoid with other people, she, it, it enthralled her even more right. to our Kira. Right. So I, I think it was an interesting way to play it for sure. Um, but it definitely, I mean, it's, it was great. It was it was very well done. The Nav Visitor does a great job as both, yeah. you know, well, uh, I guess regular Kira and Intendant. As you've been saying all that, I've been thinking, and the thing that I think stands out to me, what I wish they had done differently then, is what they did at the beginning of the episode. When the Klingons show up on the, the runabout and they see Kira, they immediately kind of freak out. And they're like, oh, please let us go back to our ship. We'll, we'll escort you back. You know, this Kira, again, this is why I've been talking about the whole time, She's supposed to be intimidating, and yet I never feel like we got 
like there's the time when she yells at Garrick at the beginning of the episode and she tells him, you know, don't torture the guy to death, but, mm-hmm. or I'll make an example of you, but like she, or he is her main enforcer. It's like, who is she going to call on to put Garrick in his place is my point. Uh, unless she's going to do it herself. So if, if our version of Kira came to the station and everyone reacted just like they did when the Klingon showed up on the runabout, I don't feel like the episode did enough of that. The episode didn't really lean into the idea. I mean, there were definitely moments when people said, oh, yeah, you look exactly like the Intendant. But they didn't react with the same fear as the Klingons did. So if Kira had truly been able to walk around the station and everyone truly did fall to their knees before her and really drove home the idea that she may not be the Intendant, but as far as anyone else is concerned, they ain't going to play any games. <laughs> yeah, the, the fear that the real Intendant had inspired in so many. It was right. like, even if even if she's not her, she looks enough like her that we are fearful of her. Exactly. So I feel like that's what I wish the episode had done more. Give us more of the idea that our version of Kira is enough of like this other one that she can walk around with impunity and scare people. And, and then when Cisco is the one who doesn't react that way and reacts with a more, you know, aggressive care, devil may care attitude, it would stand out more. Because when he showed up, he didn't react to her at all. He reacted to Cora well, he didn't, gone. Well, he didn't see her at first. And then when he did see her, he did react. Well, but if it's you remember, not... he tried to kiss her. Right. That's exactly my point. Him away. Is like that should have been... He shouldn't have done that quite like that, or at least he should have taken a couple, a little bit longer to get used to her. But well, I don't you have know. To, maybe that's you have idea. to remember. You have to remember his relationship with the intendant is different. That's true. That's true. So that's she, true, yeah. she's basically like he's, you know, to use the term, he's kind of her pet. She lets oh, him. Yeah. She lets him run loose and do whatever he does, but he often, I mean, he always has to come back to her, and he's, he's not just pleasing to her outside of the station, but also inside the station as well so that his reaction funny. <laughs> yeah so his reaction to seeing her and immediately going to try to kiss her i mean to me that's appropriate considering that's the relationship he has with the intendant they right. are they are something else okay all right well they i still would say though it, um i wish more other characters had had a more fearful reaction to her which would have again helped emphasize the Cisco relationship uh, a little bit more, but you're right. They did. They were trying to make that point uh, throughout the episode that they, he did have a a different relationship with the intended Kira. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Yeah. Well, I thought that that was a very interesting um, debut of, of Cisco, you know, to see him, Mm. um, he comes in, he's very brash, he's loud. He's not the cool, controlled guy that we had, you know, that we've gotten used to right. from all the other previous episodes, you right. know? And um, I, he's not that, again, that hardcore militaristic. He's very, you know, he's, again, he's loud. He's more laid back. He's all of this stuff. So it was just very interesting to watch him when he came on and, and that was how he, you know, had his reaction to everybody else. And then Quark is so meek and he's he's nice and he's simple right versus when we normally see him when he's normally the brash one the loud one the 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 salesman but the sleazy salesman you know he's not he's not doing any of this out of some kind of weird altruism or generosity which is what we see here of him in the crossover universe right he is much more you know 
he's trying to help the Terrans and smuggle out, you know, the sufferers and so forth. So, again, a lot of great stuff here, but I just, I did like seeing the differences in the characters, but I just don't like that that's the only way that we do it. Everybody's just, it's, they're, they're awful. <laughs> I don't even know how else to describe it. They're just right. awful. Well, let, let's say another way. There's not subtle differences between our characters. Okay. Only O'Brien has any... Like, he's the same guy. Like, there's nothing different about O'Brien. He's just not the chief of engineering. He, he's even skilled at what he does. But it's not like they came to this alternate universe and slowly realized that these aren't exactly the same people. It's in your face, which is, you know, kind of fun. It's only a 40-minute episode, so they're going to go... If they're going to go more direct with the changes in some ways that is easier to do but as i said i feel like they ended this episode too quickly it's like they wrote, wrote themselves yeah. into a box and then all right we're gonna have to wrap it up so boom uh, cisco pulls a gun and they escape uh, like there's no chase yeah. like no one chases yeah, them off you... the station no one puts up yeah. any barriers to the ships no one turns a tractor beam on it all. it's like all right <laughs> yeah and, and you know kira's brief um exchange with cisco was enough to apparently sway him yeah. to jump in you know like that and just there wasn't a you're right there just wasn't enough of a build-up for the eventual uh resolution that we see right to make any sense so yeah there's just a lot of pieces that are missing that we would have that would have been helped hope we imagine would have been helped by um a two-part or longer scene yeah However, there's one scene that stands out, and I thought it was a great scene, and it is the, you know, the when Bashir and O'Brien are discovered, and they're brought before the intendant, and she's shutting things down from the party because she's so upset with what's going on, and so she confronts the two of them as to, you know, why? Why would they do this? And right. O'Brien gives this speech yeah. about wanting a better life, and I thought it was great. You know, he's, he's so... he he asks with such, you know, pity if he can truly freely speak his mind. And when she gives it to him, she, he gives a great speech, which obviously falls on deaf ears, but still very, um, very moving. Right. Yeah. Very moving. But, um, what about you? Any, any scenes that you can think of that, uh, stood out for you more than anything else? I I do love the final moment of the episode where, (laughs) Bashir, uh, the Bashir and Kira on the runabout coming back to the station. Bashir is dirtied and mussy and just covered in grime, and Kira's wearing a purple dress. <laughs> There's a lot of questions. All done asked. up, all done up and clean, and yeah. <laughs> what happened to you guys? Oh man, we got a story to tell you. It'll take about forty minutes, and it's gonna wrap up real quick. But <laughs> yeah, it was pretty funny. Um, You're absolutely right. And actually, as right. I was thinking. Um, about the, I just said that the moment where Kira puts her, the intendant Kira puts her hand on Kira and like pushes her chin up. As I was thinking about it, I was like, oh, wait a minute. They just put the head of intendant Kira on one side of the screen and they put, you know, our version of Kira in someone else's hand. So that's why it looked good. Like, think about it, David, for a second. Which also reminds me, uh, this week. <laughs> I've never seen the movie Death Becomes Her with Meryl Streep and Goldie Hawn really? and, and Bruce Willis, but I saw clips of it. Like I just like to watch clips of movies, and it popped up, and I started watching these clips. And like I didn't, I haven't seen the whole movie all the way through, but I've watched enough clips oh, now man. to like have, have seen the film at least the highlights. 
Oh my gosh, Robert Robert Zemeckis film right after he finished up the the Back to the Future trilogy. That movie is hilarious. <laughs> yes, that was and a fan. That was a favorite movie in my household growing up. My, really. Uh, my mother and my sisters and I, we would all, we, I mean, we watched that movie so many times. Um, so many great lines, too. Great moments in that <laughs> movie. Do you take a and... check? <laughs> <laughs> I love it when Meryl Streep throws her uh, the, the, her shaft of her sh- uh, shovel. You know, it's been broken in half by Goldie Hawn, and Goldie Hawn has her stomach shot out. You know, she's an undead version of herself. And uh, Meryl Streep throws it, and it goes right between her in her, in her hole, and she goes, Yes! No, damn, because <laughs> she, because Goldie Hawn still has her shovel, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, yeah, that was pretty funny. Uh, and Bruce Willis, this was you know several years after Die Hard, so he had done the the gritty action role, and suddenly in this movie he's the meek husband who yes. is put upon, and he's hilarious as the uh, as the meek husband. And oh man, I I I'd, I'd like heard of the movie before, but I'd never seen it at all. And uh, yeah, it was really funny. And isn't um, isn't that Isabella Rossellini as the movie? woman that they get the potion from? Get the potion from. I yeah, don't know I her name, her. but that sounds right. I mean, I remember seeing yeah. the cast name. That seems that's to be her. right. Yeah, man. Ooh. That's her. I'm, I'm pretty convinced that's her. Yeah. Um, she's got like that nice... giant necklace of gold gems yeah. just all across her, but nothing else. You're like, oh man. So anyway. I'm... Yeah, I am. I'm pretty sure that's her. But nice, um, nice segue though. I haven't talked about that movie in forever. Well, that was '92, so that was only a year or so before this episode we're watching now. So, um, but thinking of special effects made me think, oh yeah, I just watched. You know, Robert Zemeckis was really known for special effects there for a time. I feel like his more recent films have kind of moved away from the idea of a bunch of special effects. Uh, but he did things like Castaway, so. Um, he can do the more serious stuff, um, but also the comedies. So, and I was right. That was Isabella Rossellini in, uh, death becomes her. Well, that's what's so so great about that movie. It seems is like, there's like very little cast. It's just Meryl Streep, Bruce Willis and Goldie Hawn running around and getting into shenanigans with a brief interlude of, of her, of what's her face, Isabella. Uh, as the woman who has who's seventy one years old but looks no older than <laughs> I love it. How old do you think I am? Thirty eight? Twenty eight. Twenty eight. Thirty three <laughs> or something <laughs> like that. <laughs> and she's all pissed. She's like but uh she gives the potion to, to well specifically the in the scene to uh Meryl Streep's character mm-hmm. which is hilarious. And we find out that Goldie Hawn had already got it taken her. Yeah. I've had it mine since for seven years. Way before you Oh yeah, and then the final final part of the of the movie when they walk out of the church and fall down the steps <laughs> and break like bowling balls, <laughs> the sound like like bowling pins ball. falling. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. It was that was a real funny movie, and I I I was reading about it. Apparently, it's kind of one of those sleeper hits. Like it wasn't quite the biggest hit at the time, but it's one of those cult classics now. Well, because I'm sure that if you think about the premise of the movie, it just sounds so inane. And then when you actually watch it, you're like, oh, man. Yeah. This is actually really good. Kind of like, um, did you ever see a movie called Drop Dead Fred? No. That's another um, That's another one, just like that. The premise of the movie, it has, um, is that Phoebe, Phoebe Cates is in it, as is Carrie Fisher. 
And it's basically the story of this woman who has a mental break and her imaginary friend from childhood comes back. Right. And is basically trying to help her get better. And so it's all about her kind of like rediscovering her childhood self and who she wanted to be versus who she was told she was supposed to be by her overbearing, ever-controlling mother. Right. Um, great, great movie. And again, it's just like, this, the the premise seems stupid, but then when you watch it, it's it's hilarious. <laughs> it's absolutely hilarious. Right. Um, I think one of my favorite scenes is when Drop Dead Fred gets his head stuck in the refrigerator, and he's trying to pull it out, and then he finally gets it free, and his head is flattened like a giant pancake. <laughs> and he's like, Phew, I thought I was stuck for a second. And he wipes his hand across the <laughs> way, and he goes, ah, ah. and then he's like, he's realizing his whole head is this huge and starts to freak out. It's a great, yeah. great little movie. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I would recommend that one if you haven't watched it. It kind of falls into that um, like late 80s, early 90s genre of, of kind of chaotic films that were out back then. You know, there's a whole. Right. I bet you there's a whole like subsection of like movies that came out during this time period that on paper make no sense, but when you watch them, they're fantastic. Right. They're fantastic. Uh, I was so. as you were talking, I was thinking of the film Multiplicity with Michael Keaton. Yes, that's another yeah, another sleeper hit. Like yeah. doesn't make any sense why this would work. Small why, cast, ever... a lot of special effects, a lot of quirky kind of goings on. It's more it's just it's a comedy. Uh, you know, the, the yeah. I like pizza. <laughs> you know, you know how a copy of a copy is it? You know. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what it is. A copy of a copy, and then you got yeah, you got this reject. Here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a funny. Absolutely. One. Jeez, Perry, I, I've been thinking lately about how many movies like I need to go back and watch. How many classic movies? It's been a couple of years since I watched like I Robot. You know, I, Will Smith was in the news a couple months mm. ago. And uh, my favorite, one of my favorite ones of his is iRobot. And just there's so many great movies out there. Um, we, we talked you know, a couple a couple episodes ago. We had the one about the woman who was cross-dressing as a man. And I was I mentioned uh, uh, Mrs. Doubtfire. That's another yes. movie that came out around that time. It's a lot of special effects. Uh, very a, a simple idea. What would it be like for this person to you – know, and that one, you know, if you were to – Dress up as an old English a house uh, housemaid, whatever. Um, nanny, nanny. Governor, there you go. Governor, governess. Um, yeah. Governess. Yeah. Yeah, and like, I feel like we've gotten away from the idea of really just digging into a simple idea and making it, you know, because just well, blowing you know, it up. I think that's because if you think about it, a lot of those movies were done. Um, they were done extremely well, but they also kind of starred the same people over right. and over again, and they just kind of. Uh, they just saturated the genre. Like I was, just, I was sitting here thinking of inane movies that I could um, uh, recommend to you. Right. And it was amazing to me how many of them I was going to recommend. All starred Tom Hanks. And I was just like, <laughs> what? And so just like I, I was going to say, I was going to say you should watch um, The Money Pit, which came out in I believe '86, and that was Tom Hanks and Shelley Long. And then uh, there's The Man with One Red Shoe. That also has Tom Hanks in it. The Burbs, Tom Hanks. Turner and Hooch, Tom Hanks. Right. It's like, did Tom Hanks just dominate the latter part of the 80s and early 90s? <laughs> he was just in everything, and it was it was good. But those were kind of the movies that he, um, that he took and that he made famous. They were 
convoluted, they were inane, they shouldn't have worked, but the man is such a great actor and he delivers so well. Right. That they're they're great. They're great movies. So right. I mean, just seeing these characters and, and like you think especially when you think of Tom Hanks now, he does such serious stuff. So to see him in different roles, you kind of forget that he got his start in comedy. Oh yeah. You know? I, and yeah. I feel like so many great actors like comedy is where they really earn it. Like Will Smith I just mentioned, Tom Hanks as you just talked about. Um I think of just there's so many out there that oh I was like Will Ferrell like one of my favorite movies of all time is um, uh, Stranger Than Fiction which is actually more oh, of a that's straight a great film. yeah that's yeah. a great movie that was one of those um, I almost didn't watch it yeah because it was a well it was a Will Ferrell movie and I knew that he did comedy and right. I just was like I'm not really interested in seeing comedy right now right and then someone was like no just watch it it's not what you think and i was like "Uh, okay and then it wasn't and it was great yes it was a great movie there's only hoffman emma thompson yes queen latifah baby yeah Yeah. (laughs) there's only one scene in that whole movie i can think of that really is a will ferrell moment where he's freaking out and he's hearing a voice and he starts smashing up his lamp in his room uh trying to like figure out where the voice is every other scene in the movie is more uh, serious from him and it really shows that he actually is a great actor and part of what like i like will ferrell a lot in that movie but there are times when his comedy is it's just like part of the reason he's so funny at times is he's just willing to commit to the the bit um and just go all out which makes him hilarious but then it also sometimes makes you lose track of that uh, he is a great actor he is able to play serious characters and serious parts um mm-hmm. yeah that, comedy that's is one is, of one of my favorite yeah. scenes from that movie is the the little did he know scene oh with dustin yes. Hoffman. little did he know that's little did he know i've whole, written whole books on little did he know I class on, yeah. oh great stuff man i love that also too he's like so uh what'd you think you need to die <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, you need to die. It's a great work, but it doesn't work Working if you don't die. die. Yeah, yeah. Oh, gosh, man. I need to go watch those movies. Um, I'm sorry. We're supposed to be talking about Star Trek Deep Space Nine, and we are now talking about Tom Hanks, Will Ferrell, and Stranger Than Fiction. I I mean, I'm, I'm not, not necessarily upset. on Star Trek anywhere? They have not. However, Tom Hanks has said that he had always wanted oh. to do Star Trek, but nothing had ever worked for whatever reason. Right. Which, at this point in the game, I'm like, listen, dude, you're Tom Hanks. If you tell them you want to be in Star Trek, they're going to put you in Star That's Trek. That's right. So just, yep. just stop that. I, I feel like that was crowd service, and I'm fine with that because it still pieces a part of me anyway. But seriously, right. you're Tom Hanks. Call the person and you're in it. You'll be in next next season. Done. Right. Done. Right. Yeah. And that you know, and as we talked about it with some other on uh, a couple other podcasts uh, or a couple of episodes ago, if I had the ability, I don't care what my political affiliation is or whatever it is. If I had the ability to be in my favorite show, I would be in my favorite show. Yeah. So there's no way that. If I like, if I had Tom Hanks's clout, yeah, one of the first things I would have done would be like, "Listen, <laughs> I need you to get me in, right? Get me in." Well, at the beginning of Sign this season, up. what's his face played the the one, um, the villain, the the circle. He was head of the circle. What was the? 
Uh, Jaro. You're talking about Minister Jaro. Yeah, who played him? That was uh, um, tall, brooding, sinister. Yes. What was his? Oh, I, can, I'm, I can see his face. Yeah. Obviously. And I can't. I, I'm trying to think of his name right now. <laughs> Uh, Frank think, Langella. There it is. There That's it is. who it was. Yeah, Frank Langella. I think you were saying when we were watching those episodes and doing those episodes that, like, you know, he didn't even have his name listed. He was like, yeah, he did not. He did not have himself listed in the opening credits or anything like that for the role. And he right. did the role because his children were fans of the right. show, and right. so he wanted to be in it for them. Right. So yeah. yes, yeah. So yeah, you're right. If Tom Hanks or Tom Cruise, <laughs> if if Frank Langella can do it, Tom. Tom Hanks can do it. Right. Tom Cruise can do yeah. it too. So yeah, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. It would be fun to theory cast a Tom Hanks role. What would that look like? <laughs> he would have he would have to play some kind of alien. He's too recognizable as Tom Hanks. Right. They would need to heavily make up him. That's and, right. Just and, like the Grand Nagus, Wallace Wallace Shawn, right? As the Grand yes, Nagus. Yes. Yeah. You recognize and, the it, voice as soon as he it, talks. But as soon as you that, heard it. Yeah. yeah. You know, but yeah, he would have to be, it would have to be the same thing for him. They, in fact, you know, on uh, one of the more recent episodes of The Orville, there was a man playing the president in, in that show. And I was watching the episode and I heard his voice and I said, that guy sounds way too familiar. Who is that? And I mean, I was like, and I could have looked it up, but I was like, no, I'm going to figure this out. And I was like, it can't be Bruce Boxleitner because that would be just too on the nose. And I was like, but I kept watching and listening. I was like, no. That's definitely Bruce Boxleitner. So I watched the I watched the whole episode, and I was like, "Of course it's Bruce Boxleitner. He's he's the only one who could do it." And so then, of course, when it was over with, I watched the credits, and there it was, special guest. And I was like, "I knew it." So for those of you who um, are wondering who Bruce Boxleitner is, I mean, if you're if you're a sci-fi fan, you already know he was on Babylon Five. He was Captain Sheridan on Babylon 5. Okay. And it's it, the reason why I was like, of course he'd be playing the president is because if you know anything about his role on Babylon 5, he basically becomes like de facto leader of everything when the when the show goes on. So he's like the savior, messiah, whatever you want to call him. Right. So yeah, um, I was like, of course he's the president. He could never like, he could never not be less than the leader of all of us. Right. That's that's his thing. Right. But it was, it was good to see him. I'll give you that much. Like it was, Good to see him in the role. But again, if Bruce Boxleitner has to wear a bunch of makeup, Tom Hanks is definitely going to have to do the same thing. Right. He's going to be the happiest sounding Klingon ever. Or, you know what? He'd be funny as a Ferengi. Tom <laughs> Hanks too is tall, a Ferengi. Yeah. He's, yeah, he's too tall. That could be it, be though. Funny. That could be his. He's freakishly tall for a Ferengi or something. Yeah. <laughs> It'd be interesting to see him as a Ferengi. I, I would enjoy that. Yeah. I would enjoy that. He so. would be, yeah, you're right. He could do the. I imagine he would be great on some. Yeah, you are a Ferengi. <laughs> I don't know. So. Uh, oh my gosh, he'd probably hate it though. He'd probably want to be something else. But yeah, yeah. I mean, imagine him as a as a Klingon though. Like just wait, Tom Hanks Klingon. What? <laughs> yeah. I don't know if it would work. I would oh, hear Romulan. his voice and be like, or yeah, he could be a. Yeah. I'd, I'd say he could make it work as a rhyme. But see, his face would give him away, though. They don't have enough prosthetics that you wouldn't notice. Like, that's why I said Ferengi. Right. Yeah, Because there'd right. be enough they could put on him to hide him a bit that it would work. So unless they introduce a whole new type of alien, he he's too recognizable. Yeah. So. 
He's the lead trill. I know there's not enough makeup there, but like he's the the, the trill of trills. I don't know. <laughs> oh lord. My theory casting is running out of ideas. <laughs> Well, we are coming up on the end of yet another episode of our podcast that, again, I swear is about Star Trek Deep Space Nine, <laughs> not all the movies that David and I could watch, should watch, and have watched. Um, but again, any final thoughts on this episode, Crossover? Would you like to see The Intended again, or do you think we've had enough of her? Well, we did leave her on a cliffhanger, so if, if there are any more episodes that go to the Mirror Universe, she would make it makes sense that she's still there. Um, I, again, I would, I would, I'm interested in the idea of how much is she like Arkira? Where does they differ? Where's the branching in their timelines beyond their personalities? Um, same with the Cisco version. Um, so yeah, I, I'd be open to it. I don't feel like I, I'm desperate for it in any real capacity. Um, okay. and then I would just say, I'll, I'm going to say it. I, I kind of alluded to it earlier gonna say it again dax was i mean she had like one line at the end of the episode when they arrived and they they didn't even attempt to explain <laughs> why there's not her in the alternate universe she's just no. not even there <laughs> no they did not no they did not <sighs> hopefully next week we get a little where we get a little bit more of our of our core cast we will be back on the station right. next week we will be talking about season two episode 24 the collaborator Ooh. so um kind of getting into some some political perhaps intrigue military ah, intrigue all right, all right. you know so some something that we've already established that deep space nine does very well so Excited to talk about that one with us as well. And hopefully we can also bring back some 90s corner and give you some 90s trivia to enhance your viewing experience. That's why I so. mentioned those movies, brah. 90s corner. <laughs> I was bringing the 90s. Come on. Uh, okay, yeah. Death Becomes Her was, I think, the only movie we mentioned that was from the 90s. Multiplicity like, 96, excuse me. Okay. Okay. <laughs> yeah, then all the other ones were 85, 86, 88. And I had a reason so. to bring it up. I was mentioning special effects and special yeah, yeah, effects yeah, from yeah, Death Becomes yeah. Her. So before we lose David on yet another wild tangent, (laughs) I will just say, uh, once again, this is the Fire Caves, a Star Trek Deep Space Nine podcast. You can listen to us anywhere you happen to listen to podcasts. I do it on Spotify. Also, keep in mind that you can find us and follow us and talk with us anywhere that you have your social medias, in particular Facebook and Twitter as the Fire Caves. So give us a shout out. And if you have any questions, comments, concerns, leave them there. But until next time, take care of yourselves. Thanks, guys.